You're listening to an audio sermon from Hope Bible Church in Oakville, Ontario. For more information, please visit our website at hopeoakville.ca. Okay, let's get to uh, the word then. Here's what we see today. Um, It's this. When you oppose the church, you have to understand you oppose God. And this just in, uh, when you oppose God, you lose. All right? When you oppose God, you lose. Now, many over the course of history, uh, when it comes to fighting against God, they have felt that they have won over the short term. And at times, it might have seen that they have won over the short term, but history has proven that in the long term, those people have died, those people have died, and his church has carried on. By the way, it's nice to see people back in church again after our weather weekend last week. Eh? Nice to see people, man. That was, that was exciting. Three services we had last week. But it's so good to see everyone back together. And the weather is cooperating with us right here. But listen, listen, listen. Those people have died and the church of Jesus Christ has carried on. Because Jesus Christ is the King of Kings. He is the Lord of Lords. Amen? Amen? So I was walking with our, with our youngest daughter this week. We were out at night going just for a walk together. And I was trying to explain to her, hey, hey, Bliss. Have you ever, her name's Bliss. Bliss, have you ever thought of why it's the year 2019? Have you ever thought in detail about kind of why that is? And she's kind of got some answers. Some were kind of funny, whatever. Another kind of thinking this through and helping to guide her through. I mean, the main reason it's 2019 is because, again, this is the year of our Lord. This is, this is the year dating, again, Jesus Christ. And I was trying to help her under, do you see how awesome that is, young child? Do you see how significant it, there's no person ever in the history of the world that this will ever be claimed about. I've said this before, I never tire of it. Every time I say it, I get so excited about it. I mean, just think about that. The proof of the Lord himself sending this message that our entire history is centered on his son and no one will ever be able to, bo- no, not any other life ever, will claim such an event or such a reality. Only Jesus Christ. Because Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Because, I mean, okay, just stop, pause for that. I mean, isn't that awesome? Like, are you like me? Like, I just find that so encouraging. Of all the people who've ever lived, one person's born and all of time happens to be centered on him. Hmm, let me think about that for a second. Coincidence? I think not. Be encouraged, man. Be encouraged. Jesus Christ is building his church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Jesus Christ is the Lord of glory. Jesus Christ is the one again and the only one that matters. You're either for him or you're against him. Our bottom line from Acts chapter 5 is this today in this reality. It is futile to oppose God. It is absolutely futile to try to fight God and think you're going to win. You can try, but you will lose. So in my mind, today's text is very, very encouraging. And I've been praying specifically for your encouragement this week in this text. So let's get our summary verse today, our thesis verse today from Acts 5. Look at verse 38 and verse 39. We'll read it. We'll come back to this in a few moments. So our thesis verse. Uh, These are the words of Gamaliel. We'll come back to that in a bit too. Verse 38. So in the present case, I tell you, keep away from these men and let them alone. For if this plan or this undertaking is of man... It will fail, but if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them. You might even be found opposing God. Amen. Okay? When you oppose God, you lose. Why? Because God is awesome. 
because God is omnipotent, because God is sovereign, because Jesus Christ is building his church and no one and nothing, not hell itself, is going to stop him. Loved ones, I encourage you, keep reading your Bibles. You say, why, Robbie? Because in your Bible, you find out we win. Keep re- How many of you are reading your Bibles right now? Not enough. Not enough. Come on, sleepyheads. Let's go. What else are you going to read? We're not reading our Bibles. We can't keep being reminded that God is in control of everything in these dark and chaotic times. Every time you read your Bible, you open it up, and God's like, I win, I win, I win. And I'm like, I'm with him. He's like, yeah, come on, let's go. Come on, all the way to victory. You can't lose. God's like, I'll never lose. God holds the nations into, he laughs at the wicked. The nations are as, I read this morning, Isaiah 40, the nations are as nothing before him. They are like a drop in the bucket. He holds the universe in the, in the, in the, or the waters in the hollow of his hand and, and he measures the universe by the span of his hand. He measures the universe. Can you do that? No, but your God can. Keep reading your Bibles, I'm telling you. Keep reading your Bibles to re- remind yourself of the reality of who we belong to and the awesome nature of our God. And again, we win with him. So today's a great message of mind renewal and faith boosting and hopefully even a little bit already. The church is opposed yet again. But here we go. Here we go, jumping into our outline. It is futile to oppose God for several reasons in our text. Number one is this, because God will supernaturally open doors. There's no point in trying to oppose God because he can and will open any door uh, he chooses. Look at Acts chapter 5, verse 17 now. But the high priest rose up, and all who were with him, that is the party of the Sadducees, and filled, notice, filled with jealousy, they arrested the apostles and put them in public prison. But during the night, the angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out and said, go and stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words, notice, of this life. So, opposition rises up again. God is doing great things through the early church and the apostles, the religious leaders, they can't stand it. The opposition is seen within them, but do you see why they rose up in opposition? You see that in verse 17? See the answer there? Uh, Because they were filled with jealousy. They were jealous because all the power of God was being displayed in verses 12 to 16, highlights that multitudes were coming to the Lord. Major miracles were happening. God's spirit working so powerfully. But listen, listen, ready, ready? They were jealous. The Sadducees were jealous because God was moving apart from them. God was moving without them. Uh, they weren't at the center of what was happening in the religious momentum of that moment. You know, when you look at this for a second, isn't it so sad that the Sadducees were not seeking to protect truth? They were not seeking to protect God's honor. Do you notice that? They were just trying to protect their own selfish, self-indulgent glory. Notice, too, this jealousy in this very passage. Notice, this jealousy will lead to hatred, and their hatred will lead to the desire to murder. You can see that in verse 33. And when they heard this, verse 33, they were enraged and they wanted to kill them. Okay, so just some 
uh, very much needed application and something needs to be known right here. Listen, um, here it is, ready? Um, are you filled with jealousy? Are you filled with jealousy? Be very, very careful. Be very aware. Listen, ready? What fills you controls you. How many right now in this room are filled with jealousy? There's, there's several. Overcome with envy. There's several. I'm telling you, what fills you controls you. These Sadducees were filled with jealousy to the point that they wanted to try to oppose God and murder the Christians of the early church. Absolutely foolishness, totally rooted in their own selfish ambition and desire for their own glory. Sin makes us very stupid indeed. So the apostles are arrested again. They're thrown into prison. That's verse 18. Another attempt of humans to try to stop God and his gospel To those people, two words I say is, good luck with that. Good luck. Now, verse 19 in our text makes me smile. It gives me great joy. You can see in verse 19, it says that God commands an angel ascent and doors. The prison doors are miraculously opened. The preaching continues in the gospel. You look at verse uh, 19 and 20. What an awesome display of our God's glory and power and sovereignty. What an awesome display of our God's heart for his own gospel. There's some irony here within our text. God sends an angel to freeze them. The Sadducees didn't even believe in angels. Little side note here, the wisdom of man is foolishness to God. Always remember that. The wisdom of man is absolutely foolishness to God. Loved ones, you cannot stop our God. He will open whatever door he chooses to. He cannot be stopped and he won't be stopped. Uh, Verse 21 displays remarkable boldness among the apostles. They're in prison. They're free. They walk right out when the sun rises in the temple for all to see. And they continue to preach the gospel with boldness. But again, okay, so, so live in the text. Imagine you're one of the apostles and you're in prison. And then an angel comes and opens the prison doors for you, and you're walking out, and you're like, yeah, this is kind of fun right now. You know what I mean? Like, like how much is your faith boosted in that moment? I mean, really, right? I mean, think about it. Like, like you're there, and you're released from prison, and the angel says, go preach more. And you're like, okay, that's a good idea, right? You walk out, and you're like, who's in charge? God's in charge. Who do I belong to? I belong to the Lord. My God is awesome. He does whatever he wants. Man, look at his glory being displayed. I mean, yes, it takes an incredible amount of faith and boldness. At the same time, your faith is growing so much because of the awesome display and glory of your God. Amazing. Look at the second half of verse 21. Now when the high priest came and those who were with him, they called together the council, all the senate of the people of Israel, and sent to the prison to have them brought. But when the officers came, they did not find them in the prison. Look at, just just notice inherently in this text how in control man thinks he is. So they returned and reported, we found the prison securely locked and the guards standing at the doors. But when we opened them, we found no one inside. That's so good. (laughs) Verse 24. Now when the captain of the temple, the chief priests, heard these words, they were greatly perplexed about them. Yeah, I bet. Wondering what this would come to. And someone came and told them, Look, the men whom you put in prison are standing in the temple and teaching the people. Now this is just amazing to me. Don't you agree? I mean, in some ways, this is so awesome and, church, hilarious, right? It is. Look at the plans of man utterly humiliated. You don't think God will do that again? 
You don't think God is doing that in our midst? Man is so arrogant. The plans of men totally humiliated. And this is our God. The attempt to stop the miracles of God only is used to multiply the miracles of God. And isn't this our God, how awesome he is? The prison's securely locked and the guards are standing at the doors. So there's not a trace of escape. There's not one thing out of place other than the fact that the prisoners are gone. And again, I think, you know, humanity right here in this text, they think they're in control of all that's happening. They have their people that they put in prison. They're going to decide exactly when they get out. They're going to be able to control what they say, whatever. All the meanwhile, here they are. And really, the reality is right here, these, these religious leaders, this council, they are puppets in the hand of the sovereign God. That's what they are. They don't know it. That's what they are. That's how awesome our God is right now, right now, today, 2019. That's how sovereign our God is, how great he is, how glorious he is. He does whatever he wants. Man, the things he puts up with, but I'm telling you, the day is coming where those things will not be put up with any longer. Put your faith in God. Give your life to God. Put all your eggs in the basket of Jesus Christ. Do not live for this world. Live for him. Love him. Pursue him. Surrender to him. Give your life to him. In the end, that's all you will want. That's all you will see, and that's all that will last is Jesus Christ. He's awesome and sovereign and glorious. In verse 24, you see the religious leaders, they were greatly perplexed. Um, this is good, meaning where, where in the world is this Christian movement heading? Uh, the New Living does well. It says, they were perplexed, wondering where it would all end. So the religious leaders, like, like they show up and they see what happened, and the doors are locked and the guards are there, but the, but, but the apostles are gone, and they're like, for a second, they're like, where is this Christianity going anyways? Like, when, when is this going to end? We can't seem to stop this. Like, th this is peculiar, is what they're saying. They're greatly perplexed to say, what is happening within this movement of Christians? And the answer is, well, Christians belong to an unstoppable, sovereign God of the universe. I mean, and honestly, I mean, this is, this, is one of the, this is one of the tapes I'm playing back when I get to heaven to see the faces of the Sadducees in verse 25 when the people say, look, there they are in broad daylight preaching. Now, in Hebrew, they must have said something like, you've got to be kidding me. Right? I mean, just as they look at that jaw drop, and they're like, what in the world? Right? I'd love to see their faces. I mean, just they, they think they know what's happening, and yet they're, they're so aware. There's nothing really they're in control of at all. Again, it's God to make you smile. It is futile to oppose our God. He opens any door he wants to. He brings the plans of man to nothing. He laughs in the face of human arrogance. He can and will again swing any door open that he chooses to. I mean, we're in Christmas season right now. Let's do some Christmas application. Just consider a few examples from the Christmas story and that God will open any door he chooses to. Um, how about the census through Caesar Augustus? That's a fairly large global event that just happened there, and that was entirely arranged so his son could be born in Bethlehem, fulfilling what the prophets promised. Awesome! He arranged a star to guide the wise men to worship his son. That's pretty awesome. 
He overshadowed, overshadowed Mary with the Holy Spirit for the miraculous conception. Uh, he led Simeon perfectly at the right time into the temple to hold baby Jesus and again declare him to be the king. Uh, he caused a multitude of angels to appear to the shepherds and to announce the birth of his son. How awesome is that as well? He caused Elizabeth to be pregnant in her old age, that she would give birth to John the Baptist, who would be the forerunner for Jesus, again, also promised in the prophets and in the scriptures. Our God will open any door he wants to, and no one and nothing's going to stop him. No one and nothing. He does whatever he wants. That's how good he is. And notice all of these events are because he's opening doors for the plan of his salvation to save sinners like you and me. That's amazing. That's his heart. That's his love. There is no door he cannot open. I'm telling you, loved ones, do not fear in our current day. Do not fear in our current day. God's plan is precisely in motion. And listen, even when your doors seem to be closed or not opening, that's when we look to the day. You're like, this day isn't happening the way. Look, look then to the day, capital D day. Look to the day when you will walk through that door from this world to the next, from this life to life eternal. That's the only door you ultimately want open for you when it all comes down to it. More than a door of some job or more than a door in some relationship or more than a door in some advancement in your career. The only door you and I will care about in the end is when Jesus Christ says, I am the door. And you walk through his door and that door will be supernaturally open for you to join with him in heaven forever and ever and in his glory and without death and without sin. That's the only door you and I should ultimately care about. So when you don't think this life's working out, you look to the day and eternity will work out and you would have that infinitely more than anything you can ever hear have here on this earth. That's the perspective and the power of the gospel. God will open any door he wants to. And he does this because he's awesome and glorious. And he wants his children to see and to be so blessed for every heart that has a heart of faith. You know, if you look at verse 26, it says, Then the captain with the officers went and brought them, not by force, for they were afraid of being stoned by the people. You know, you look at the hardness of heart upon the religious council. Like, they're still not giving up. Like, they're still so hard-hearted. They go get them. Like, look at all they've seen. How much, more, how much more proof do you need? And they still grab them to try to command them to stop preaching Christ and put them in prison. We're going to see, and they beat them. Foolishness, man. How blind do you have to be to everything you're witnessing? It's futile to oppose God. He will open any door he wants to. Secondly, you know what's futile to oppose God? Because Jesus Christ is the unstoppable leader. He's the unstoppable leader Look at verse 27. And when they had brought them, they set them before the council, and the high priest questioned them, saying, We strictly charged you not to teach in this name. Yet here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching. Look, look at the impact of what's happening. Fill Jerusalem with your teaching, and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. But Peter and the apostles answered, We must obey God rather than men. Look at this. The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him at the right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses to these things, and so is the Holy Spirit, amen, whom God has given to those 
who obey him. Notice, first of all, the high priest won't even say the name of Jesus. You see that in verse 28? He goes, in this name, and then this man's blood upon us. They won't even say the name of Jesus. But all Peter and the apostles will do is rely and declare the name of Jesus. Verses 29 to 32, they become such a powerful declaration. We're with Jesus. We're saying, man, whatever you guys do, we must obey God, not men. We're with Jesus. You killed Jesus, he says. God raised Jesus. You maligned Jesus. God exalted Jesus. You rejected Jesus. Jesus is the leader of leaders. You murdered Jesus. He's the savior of the world. You hated him. Jesus is forgiveness, Peter says, through repentance. You deny him. The Holy Spirit testifies to him. You want to silence him. You can't stop him. That's what Peter says right there. The word leader in verse 31 can be also translated author or pioneer or founder. Jesus leads the way. He's the originator. It was Jesus himself who says, I am the way. I am the author of salvation. I am the pioneer of the path to eternity. You follow me. He says in John 8, I'm the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. Whoever follows me as the way, as the leader, as savior, Hebrews 2, Jesus is declared to be the founder of our salvation. Hebrews 12, the founder, pioneer, leader of our faith. He leads us to salvation. He leads us in our faith. So ready? If Jesus is your leader, then you are unstoppable. Like, for real, y'all, okay? You're unstoppable. Jesus is your leader right now. You are unstoppable simply because of everything Jesus has done. If Jesus is your leader, your circumstances in this life don't matter. In the end, they don't matter. I'm not trying to diminish what you're going through. I'm just telling you, you rise above that. He leads us to the next world. Nothing shall separate you from the love of God, Romans 8. Nothing. Not death nor life. Nothing will separate you from God's love. And this is what carries the apostles to such boldness and faith. They may stand and say, we must obey God rather than men. Because God is the God of glory. And his son is the unstoppable leader over the entire universe. Watch this. Their theology leads to their obedience. Help us, Lord. And they're so filled with God's spirit. They see God so clearly. Their theology of conviction leads to their obedience before the Lord. Two weeks ago, I had the chance to go to Peru with Compassion Canada, we're supposed to go to Ecuador, but there was unrest in Ecuador. There's travel advisories, don't go. So we ended up going to Peru. Compassion Canada went through with the trip. It was a blessing time, man. We went to different pastors from Canada. Um, I brought my oldest son with me, Aiden. Um, just, it was just, it was just a, a sweet, sweet time. Able to see how Compassion is actually planting churches in certain parts of the world. Very encouraged by that. We'll see what comes of that in the future. Not sure. One of the highlights of our compassion trips, the second time I've been on one, is home visits. You go into the homes. We were in a, um, a community in northern Peru called Piora, and we were um, witnesses to what is some pretty significant poverty, and you're walking through these kind of communities, and they arrange home visits for families that belong to the church or at least are connected to the church, and 
it's always very super humbling. Like you walk through these places, man, they just, like, they got nothing. They got nothing. And you go into their home and you're looking around and you're just kind of aware of whatever, you know, especially for my son Aiden to be there for the first time and see this stuff and just it's such a blessing to be able to have that kind of perspective and what we're hearing, the things we take for granted. But even being there, we're in, in, in this one home and we're talking to this one lady and, and we're visiting with her little daughter. She was four years old and it just turns out that um, this, this woman, her husband, had just passed away a few months before and they moved in with relatives into this home where they, they had nothing. And I was looking at this girl and she was connected to the program of the church and I found out that she didn't have a sponsor at this time and I saw the surroundings and I just like there and like, you know, the Holy Spirit's just working through you and you're just like, man, like, you know, for, for so little, for so much, this little girl has a chance and a hope of life if you're just able to be able to give her a little bit of money each month and to see what kind of difference it could make. And so I want to show you the picture of Estralita. I want you to see this. This is, this is like, check this out. Are you kidding me? I mean, Talk about irresistible. And I'm sitting there looking at this little girl, and she's the sweetest thing ever, and just playing with a little doll and moving around, whatever, and just there. And you're looking at that, and you're like, Lord, um, how could we not do something to make a difference, obviously? And you're so thankful for these moments to be able to meet the child in their setting. I'm picturing right now where it was. Here's another picture of the group that we were with, and I just want you to see again. This is, this is the home that they live in, and the, and the floor, and the concrete floor, whatever. And this is the group we have, we have right here. And this is her mom that's there, and this is little Esther Lita. Her name means little star. And um, you know one of the things that, that really impacted me is you're sitting there realizing this, and like, so like... Um, under God's sovereignty, at this moment, with this four-year-old girl from a northern part of Peru, seemingly, in the world's eyes, insignificant, and to many people in this world would be deemed as irrelevant, has nothing, has nothing. It, it, it overwhelmed me, though, that in God's sovereignty, in his heart, upon this child at this time, being introduced to Jesus Christ, and we had this amazing Holy Spirit moment with her family and mom with the gospel, and right there and there as well, and just felt the Lord working so powerfully. It just, it just made me so encouraged to say, she may have nothing. When she has Jesus Christ, she has everything. She has everything. When she belongs to the unstoppable leader, she doesn't need the car. She doesn't need the house. She doesn't need the clothing. She doesn't need the fancy church building. She doesn't need some infrastructure to live within camp. She doesn't need any of that. She needs nothing. The only thing she ultimately needs is Jesus Christ. And if she has Jesus Christ, she's unstoppable. Because she belongs to the one who is also unstoppable and the one who grants her and rescues her and loves her and restores her and gives her life and gives her peace and hope and security and everlasting life and causes her to be found again and understood that her name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life. That is awesome. And that is the perspective of what it means to truly belong to the Lord Jesus Christ. The unstoppable leader. It is, it is futile to oppose God. He opens any door he wants to. His leadership is unstoppable. Thirdly, this. Here's a good reason. Because God cannot lose. It's futile to oppose God because, well, God can't lose. <clears throat> Look at verse 33. And when they heard this, they were enraged and wanted to kill them. That reveals their hearts. By the way, notice how quickly that this religious council went from inquiry to the death penalty. Again, it, it just it tells us all we need to know about them. 
Verse 34. But a Pharisee in the council named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law, held in honor by all the people. Gamaliel was actually the mentor of Paul, Saul. Stood up and gave orders to put the men outside for a little while. And he said to them, men of Israel, take care what you are about to do with these men. There's a lot of wisdom here. For before these days, Thutis rose up, claiming to be somebody. And a number of men, about 400, joined him. He was killed, and all who followed him were dispersed and came to nothing. Verse 37. And after him, Judas the Galilean rose up in the days of the census and drew away some of the people after him. He too perished, and all who followed him were scattered. And he says, So in the present case, I tell you, keep away from these men and let them alone, for this plan or this undertaking is of man, it will fail. But if it is of God, you will lose. You will not be able to overthrow them. And you might even be found to be opposing God, it says. So they took his advice. God providentially spares the life of his apostles, at least for the moment in this time, through a scholar named Gamaliel. Now, we don't know where Gamaliel's heart truly lay. Uh, Some commentators want to doubt him. Other commentators want to just suggest maybe he was sincerely seeking. We don't know. What we do know, though, is he's used here to bring pause and consideration to the council that wanted to murder the apostles. We do know he's providentially used to, again, spare their lives. We also know he was right in verse 39. He was right. What was he right about? God cannot lose. And therefore, if you oppose him, you will lose. It's important, though, within what Gamaliel's saying, he's kind of suggesting, listen, if we wait and see, then we'll judge whether God is successful or not. Humans don't do that. Humans don't get to have the privilege of deciding whether God was successful because the ways of God are not the ways of man. I mean, some generations claim a nation for God. Other generations claim the death of God. Yet they die and God carries on. But based on this conversation in Acts 5, which happened 2,000 years ago, and our reality here today, with over 2 billion people across our world professing Christ on some form, I'd say that Gamaliel's advice was pretty solid. I'd say he was onto something here. And what we know is the true statement of God's success, of what he's saying here, like the true fulfillment of what he's saying, you'll be found to be opposing God, this will ultimately be realized at the second coming of Jesus Christ. And that day's coming soon. And all who stand in opposition to him will find out in the flesh and realize you cannot defeat Jesus Christ. You cannot defeat God. Hey, church, hey, take such encouragement today. Our hope is ultimately found in the fact that our God cannot be overcome. He cannot be overthrown. Like, this is our hope. Our hope is in the reality that we are victorious in Jesus Christ. Our hope is this, Romans 8, verse 31, if God is for you, who can be against you? Like, I'm telling you, you want a little discipleship tool? Huddle up often. What do you mean by that, Robbie? Huddle up with family, friends. Huddle up. Get the team assembled. Look around the huddle, and every time acknowledge, God's in the huddle. I like your chances. God's on our team. Huddle up often, man. Huddle up at church. Look around. Jesus is our quarterback. I like our chances. Undefeated for all time. Never going to lose ever. Huddle up on a frequent basis and remind yourself as his glory and beauty 
and majesty and strength and wisdom and absolute guaranteed victory that our God cannot lose. And if God is for you, you cannot lose either. Right now, this is one big huddle. That's what we're doing. One big huddle. And we're looking around and saying, God's on our team. I like our chances. So, it's futile to oppose God because he opens any door he wants to because Jesus' leadership is unstoppable because God simply cannot lose. Therefore, point number four, that is why then, because of this truth, we rejoice to suffer for the name of Jesus. That is why then, because this is all true, we suffer now for glory later. Look at verse 40. And when they had called in the apostles, they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. And then they left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. That's an amazing verse. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that the Christ is Jesus. See this beating there that's listed in verse 40? Um, that is likely the 39 lashes, the ripping of flesh off their backs, some version of that. It was gruesome. Notice as they leave their torture, they rejoice in their suffering. Notice they rejoice at the dishonor they receive for the name of Jesus. How is that possible? I'm telling you, only the Holy Spirit of God and the presence of the Lord can create such joy within such trial. Why? Because our God cannot be stopped. To the point, listen up, listen, right? To the point, he even opens supernatural doors of joy in the midst of such incredible pain. See that? He opens supernatural spiritual doors of joy in the midst of such tremendous physical earthly pain. That's impossible in a worldly sense. Because the glory is the eternal reward. There's the joy within temporal suffering only in the Lord. I mean, again, I mean, you have to imagine the people watching this say, they say, wow, these Christians are so nuts. Like these nutso Christians. They're telling you, you don't destroy their joy through suffering and beating. You actually increase it. Bunch of whack job Christians. I mean, this is what's happening right here. You don't decrease their joy through beating. You actually increase their joy through causing the sufferer such incredible torture. How is that possible? Because God will open any door he wants to in the care and the provision of his church and children. Um, Richard Wormbrandt, quote on the screen for you. Romanian pastor, severely tortured for his faith. He says this, talking about prison. It was strictly forbidden to preach to other prisoners. It was understood that whoever was caught doing this received a severe beating. A number of us decided to pay the price for the privilege of preaching, so we accepted their terms. It was a deal. We preached, and they beat us. We were happy preaching. They were happy beating us, so everyone was happy. I mean, we laugh. How is that possible? 
how is that possible? It's only possible through the power of the Holy Spirit and the joy that he gives. Do you see what happens? Like, and like, let me just say right from the outset too, man, like when it comes to verse 41, 42, I got a long way to go. But here's what I believe. I believe with all my heart that all that matters is what's to come. I believe, I believe that they are so right. This example, I believe the Holy Spirit filled them to such a degree that they were so aware and so convinced that every form of suffering for the Lord Jesus Christ is going to produce an eternal reward that infinitely outweighs any suffering we can have in the present. I mean, death is the entranceway to life for the child of God. I firm, you firmly believe that, I pray. I firmly believe that. And so therefore, we continually weigh what are we living for and what's this really about? The willingness, because our God can't lose, we desire to reach as many people as possible that they might join the salvation train in Jesus Christ by grace through faith. And they might be with us to know the hope that we have, not for now, but what will be. When he returns, we gather together as his bride and worship him in his splendor and glory forever and ever. Any suffering now is worth it, infinitely worth it, to suffer dishonor for the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. God help us, amen, church? God help us. When you came in today, did you get one of these? I want you to look at it right now. These, do you have hope cards? Did you, were you giving them or no? Someone help me out here. Yes? Okay, okay, listen. Right here, this is, this is not just a Christmas card. I know it looks similar to our other one, okay? This, this is a, a card of evangelism that we have created, and we're going to make revisions and stuff as we go. But this is designed. We want to hand out thousands and thousands and thousands of these through this church um, in the next several months, next years. This is an introduction. This is a, uh, a hook of so many in our world need hope. So many need hope. And a hook right now for us when we're, when we're uh, sharing our faith in the gospel and we want to tie it to our church and there's an introduction to the gospel at the back. But there's also this QR code in the corner and we have a splash page on our website, uh, hopewokeville.ca slash I need hope. And that page is just in beta form right now. But the whole thing is pointing many people as possible to that I need hope page where it's unpacking the gospel and inviting people to come to relationship in Jesus Christ that we can use over and over and over again. And we will be used to take these. We're going to have this size. We're going to have business card size. And we're going to pray we will give out thousands and thousands and thousands of these. The next one, listen, we open another service. We have a thousand seats available for a thousand people to be saved in Jesus Christ. And every single one of us decides to be used. And this is the way. I was in uh, Swiss Chalet uh, last week and had a conversation with the waitresses. And one thing led to another. And she's from Iran. And she came. And she was formerly uh, kind of Muslim. She's kind of there, but not there. And then talking to her. And all of a sudden, there's openness in the church and the hope. And to the point, she's like, can I have your name and church thing, whatever. And just sit there. Man, we just keep trying. I get rejected a lot. But Robbie, don't give up, man. Just keep, keep. Because there's so many people there searching for hope. Jesus is the answer. It's joined together for the name of Jesus Christ and willing to suffer dishonor for his name for the reality of what will be. God, help me. God, help me be more like this. God, help me. I need your help. God, help our church. How many of us combined, thousands and thousands of us combined in this way, trying to equip you, the Holy Spirit would give us boldness to see what he might do. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, Jesus, name above all names. 
the only name that matters. The name that cannot lose. The name that will always win. The name that is astoundingly beautiful and incredibly powerful. Raise up your church today, God. Raise up your church today. Fill us with faith. Some of us came in groggy, sleepy, slumbering, apathetic. Cause us to leave fired up. Filled with faith. Renewed. Alert. Awake. Engaged. Willing. Willing. Ready. I pray thousands and thousands and thousands of these cards will be handed out over the next several months. God, I pray you give us the ability to print as many as we need and reach so many people out there, so many people. Lord, the amount of people represented by who we know in this church is tens and tens and tens of thousands of people. Help us, Lord, help us. Help us, Holy Spirit, help us. Give us a love that is not our own and a boldness that is from you. And help us to understand, Lord, because we are with you, we cannot lose. As many people as possible will be on your team. Because God is for us. Who can be against us? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's sing together.